the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 328 for Tuesday, May 3rd, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you ask the questions, you send in your tips, we provide answers, we share our tips. Happily all learning more together about the Mac and Apple products. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Here and in Durham, New Hampshire, this pilot Pete. That's Back right. Again. I tried not to make it today, but I'm here. The, the forces <laughs> conspired against you not to make it five minutes before the show <laughs> is when I realized I didn't have a mic stand here for you. But, uh, but. We made one work, so, yeah. and I'm hoping that the forces conspire to keep my throat happy throughout the show. I, my cold last week, plus a gig on Friday night, turned my throat into, well, something much less than useful, and that's why we've postponed a day here. I can actually talk today, so that's good, but uh, we'll see how gravelly I get by the end. How are you, John? Great, but enough jibber-jabber, because we got to conserve your voice here, Dave. That's right. Well, you could jibber-jabber. Um... Uh, I shall. We have uh, we have a ton of great stuff to go through today. A lot of questions, a ton of tips, and then uh, time permitting, we'll well, I'm sure we'll have uh, a couple of cool stuff found items to share with you as well. So uh, before we get into Peter's question about what to do after power failures, I want to talk about our first sponsor for the show, which is Smile at SmileSoftware.com. What we're talking about today is PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro. Now, in a very general sense, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro are programs that let you create, edit, reorganize, and manipulate PDFs. Uh, some examples uh, that either one of these packages can do would be to uh, paste a signature onto a PDF that you want to send back to someone. So if you have scanned your signature or really even if you uh, draw your signature on paper and you do a decent uh, picture with your iPhone, that probably would be enough. Crop it down, move it onto your Mac, and then you could paste that into documents uh, instead of having to print, sign, and then scan. Other things that you could do if it if you've got a, a PDF which has text in it that you want to edit, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro will actually let you edit that text. It's pretty cool. It's kind of scary because it's the sort of thing that you think, well, wait a minute, aren't PDFs always the way that they uh, that they originated? No, uh, you can edit them and you can correct things. Of course, you can also mark them up and put little stickies and notes and reorder them and delete pages and all of that. PDF Pen Pro adds a couple of features. One is the ability to uh, create forms, uh, fill in forms. And another, which uh, again is only in PDF Pen Pro, is the ability to convert HTML to PDFs. Uh, in fact, you can even take a whole website and convert it to a multi page PDF with hyperlinks that'll work. Uh, and, and everything just kind of works inside it. it. It's very, very cool. Uh, definitely worth checking out both PDF pen and PDF pen pro are available, uh, as a free trial from smilesoftware.com. When you're ready to buy, 
PDF Pen is $59.95 or $60 minus a nickel. And PDF Pen Pro is 100 bucks, and you get to save that same nickel. So uh, they've got a 90-day money-back guarantee. You can find out about all of this at smilesoftware.com. But uh, I do encourage you to uh, to go check out uh, one or both of them because uh, it, it PDF Pen it, Pro is one of the apps that I always make sure I have installed on my Mac. And with that, John, I think it's time to see what Peter has to say. So... Peter writes, we've all started up our Macs after a kernel panic or power failure, and I'd like to hear your thoughts about that, too. There was a time that we Mac users were repeatedly warned that unless files were closed properly, bad things could happen. Has the journaled file system or anything else helped change that? John? Yes, maybe. <laughs> okay. So, here's my That's reply. A very to Peter. definite maybe. I sounds <laughs> a definite maybe. So here's here here's my answer to Peter. Journaling is first off. There is a knowledge base article about journaling. HT twenty three fifty five. This is a feature that used to be in Mac OS X server, and is now of course uh, available when you format a disk. And I would say you should enable it with journaling. I think, it's, I think it's been around since leopard right in the uh in the regular builds of mac os 10 it's at least been 10.5 uh, leopard perhaps even older than that uh yes uh according to apple uh since 10.3 okay it's been in the consumer grade and since 10.2.2 in mac os 10 server what journaling does, and this is an option that you can select when you format a disk, and again, I, I think you should because I don't, I don't see any downside it, other than perhaps consuming a little extra space, but I, I don't see any downside to journaling. But it, And it, it is on by default. Yes. Right. Yeah, as far as I know, I, I think you could format a disk without journaling. I, I don't see why you'd want to. Right. Uh, but, but here's what they say it does. So it basically, uh, before, if your system crashed, then in order to ensure the integrity of the file system and the structure of what's on your disk, you'd have to run a, an operation that would basically tear through the entire disk and, and check everything out. And, you know, that's time consuming. Uh, journaling, what it does is it makes note of significant events that, that occur with the file system. And if it detects that something has gone wrong, it will bring the file system into what they call a known good state. I'll, I'll say that that with a caveat, because despite journaling, so to answer this question, journaling is good and journaling can certainly help. I mean, the, the nice benefit of journaling is that when you restart the system, rather than tearing through the hard drive saying, oh, my gosh, something is wrong. I better tear through the whole disk and rebuild or or verify it. It'll bring your system up a lot quicker. It can start from a, a much more recent point than ground zero. Right. And you may be asking yourself, how can I tell if journaling is is being engaged? And yeah. I'll tell you. How do you tell? Well, if you look on the console, you will see a message from Kernel. And I, and I just did this on my MacBook because I just had this happen a couple of days ago, actually, uh, on the uh, the second. So it was about a day ago when my, my system, I guess, uh, locked up and I had to force a shutdown. And you'll see an entry saying replay underscore journal from and a big long number to and another big long number, which are these file system bookmarks if you will uh. and then it also and the last message i see is journal replay done so at some point when my system crashed I said oh my gosh i realized john's system has crashed let me bring the file system back to a good state cool so so my answer is that journaling can certainly help however 
I would not say that it prevents all problems. Uh, so to address his one question um, about saving files, as far as I know, most applications, for the most part, unless you enable an option and some apps have this, uh, what you do is typically stored in RAM and is not committed to disk. Mm. Right, right. So not, he's saying, not all the time. That's right. By, by using a method or a, a function called, called um, write caching, right? The system stores some operations in RAM to make use of the disk more efficient and then writes it all out in batches. Right. Now, one thing you can do, and I'll, I'll do this uh, just for a habit when, when I'm working on a document, is I will typically manually save what I'm doing to make sure that at least at some point it's committed. And actually, some apps, I think Microsoft and, and probably some others, have a setting that says, you know, every few minutes, and I think there's even an add-on, I don't remember, that will force this to happen, where it'll force a save, which will transfer what's in memory to disk. But, but the thing is, even with journaling, and as we've seen, you know, journaling's been around for a while, and I've always had it enabled, I've still had problems with file system corruption. In that when I've crashed and run this utility, it says, up oh, something's wrong. So at, at least from what I've seen, Dave uh, and Pete, uh, journaling is not foolproof. Uh, no. So, so I would not count on journaling alone to assure the integrity of everything on your hard drive. Though it certainly, it certainly helps. And, and again, as mentioned, it'll get you back up and running in a much better state than if you did not have journaling. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what what Peter's question specifically was, if it was more along the lines of if my Mac has now suffered, if I've suffered a power failure and my Mac is off, is there anything I should do specifically before turning it on? And really, uh, the answer is if there have been problems, they've already happened. So, yeah, go ahead and turn it back on. You'll see what state your system is in. Uh to prevent against a power failure, I highly recommend something uh, like a UPS, an uninterruptible power supply, or as it's commonly called, a battery backup. You can get these devices that you plug your computer into. Of course, if your computer is a laptop, uh, it already has this functionality. But for desktops and, and the like, uh, getting one of these battery backup units, especially this time of year where most of us, at least in the uh, northern United States, uh, begin, and, and I mean... In fact, all of the United States begin to suffer from uh, thunderstorms. So, uh, you know, power outages short and long are upon many of us. It's the time of year to have a battery backup for sure. So let, let me go on and ask then if you do either have to something locks up and you have to hit the power button, uh, turn it off or you lose your power. Yeah. What what a minimum are you going to do? Are you going to do a permissions repair and a. Oh, well, more I, than that. Well, I, I would, would do a, a, yeah, disk repair. Yeah. Well, both. No, what, what you're saying, yeah, permissions are, and you know, I, I'd run permission repair on a regular basis because there, there always seems to be some permissions that just get munged up and they, and they manifest themselves in, in, in mysterious ways sometimes when something's not working permissions. But I would do an actual disk repair by booting from your uh, system uh, CD or DVD. And running disutility from that and doing uh, or a utility like, you know, Drive Genius or uh, or I guess Disc Warrior or any of the other right. uh, cool kids on the block that, that do uh, because disutility does a, you know, OK job, but it doesn't do an, a, an entirely thorough job. So that's the first thing. And actually, any time. Well, actually, I'm going to stop you there 
Um, Stop me. I, I, I agree with you that 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 is the right thing to do. Uh, there's two things that I'm going to, I'm going to mention. Number one is you don't, you don't need another disc. You can do it from the command line. If you hold down command S while the drive boots, um, ah. assuming you can get to the command line there, uh, there will be a command that'll teach you how to run F S C K, which is the systems file system check program. Now here's something interesting. I thought drive genius, uh, drive genius has its own disc repair uh, functionality built in, right? You can, you can repair disks, you can verify disks, and you can also rebuild directories. Yes, I've done that. It's disk repair near as I can tell is nothing more than the same thing that disk utility runs. And there's, there's a reason that I know this this morning I got to my desk and my computer was acting. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I saw the picture of it and yeah. the, and if you haven't seen it, so check Dave's, uh, the, do you put it on Twitpick or Instagram? I, or, I think or, I put it on Instagram. Yeah. But, uh, but, but if, uh, you, what you saw me on is, is an indication of one of two things happening and, and hopefully it was the second and not the first. Well, so uh, I, I got to my desk and my computer was on because it always is. And, and there was a bit of a, it, it was just, it was just acting funky. And I thought, you know, let me reboot. So I, uh, I go to restart all the apps quit the finder quits and I get to the blue screen where it normally kind of winds itself down before, uh, actually tripping the power restart, uh, you know, and, and starting it over and it just kind of hung there. So I did what I always do, which is I got my iPhone out and I tried to, uh, get a terminal session in using the ISSH app and was denied, which meant that the system had shut down far enough such that it could not, um, that, you know, that that service wasn't available. I thought, well, if we've shut down that far, then really, uh, I think we're probably safe enough. And it doesn't matter if we are, because it's the only option. I have to hold the power button for 10 seconds and turn it off. So I did that and I turned it back on and I got the Apple logo and then I got a progress bar underneath. Now this progress bar, uh, comes up when two things, one of two things is happening. One is when it's doing a firmware update, which I know I wasn't doing. And the other is when the system has decided it needs to do it's uh, a file system check and it makes this decision on its own. And then it shows you the progress bar while it does that. Well, it didn't quite make it uh, more than about 25% through the file system check when it just stopped. So uh, I booted from my super duper clone uh, and which meant it, which happens every night at six 30 and last night's happened. So I, uh, I booted from a, a clone that was as of 630 last night. And other than being a little slower, because of course the clone is a spindle drive and my main drive is an SSD. I was up and running pretty much exactly where I left my computer yesterday. So then I set about trying to check the drive and file system checks failed with invalid sibling links, which is something that I've never seen that particular message mm. before. And so I, you know, I ran disk utility uh, to do a file system check. And then I ran drive genius um, because disc warrior failed to want to rebuild the directory there, which I knew was a bad sign. And while drive genius was running, not only did it give me exactly the same messages as disc utility, but I looked in the activity monitor and it was running FSCK underscore HFS, which is that particular software, the same one that, that, uh, that you run from the command line or the disc utility runs. So, um, so they, they definitely use Apple's Apple's uh, stuff for for repairs, uh, but certainly not for rebuilds because Apple doesn't have a function for rebuilds. 
So right now I am in the process of uh, yet again restoring my drive from its clone while we podcast. And and I think my lesson to be learned is that uh, when I do have to shut my system down, I need to remember to do a file system check on it afterwards because uh, because I, it, it's happened a couple times recently that I've had to turn things off in a funky way. And uh, and I'm, I'm sure that that led to my demise here today because I was just lazy. Hmm. So hopefully that's all it is. And I'll be back up and running. Run those file system checks. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else on this one? No, I, I think we delivered more than we intended. On, I, on yeah. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even going to talk about my thing. And then, you know, when we, when we got to this point, I thought, well, you know, we're, we are here. Good to share a little anecdote. Because you don't want that hap- that to happen to you. All right, uh, we have a uh, uh, caller. Well, that perhaps has his own answer, but we'll we'll get there. Hi, I have a quick question about um, extensions. I was wondering if you guys had a program that you know of that will mass change extensions. So I have about batches of eight files that I need to um, change the extension, and there's like. 60 batches of eight files that I need to change. So I have a full, full a folder which has a bunch of subfolders which has the files that I need to change. And I was wondering if there's a program that I could just, you know, put the program on and then it would go down and then change all the subfolders, like find the end of the folders and then rename those. Or I wouldn't mind even having to do it by hand, just like drag and drop type thing. Or if, I don't know, but something that will save me from typing DVD media or dot DVD media over and over and over and over again. So thanks. Um, this is where you cut me off. All right. So we'll cut you off for now. I, so we got this call from him, John, and I started digging into it and I thought, well, gosh, you know, does the Unix move command work that way? Uh, and that was my thought too. And unfortunately it doesn't because no. you can't know because at, you know, my thought was to use the Unix move command, which is MV, which right. is what you use for renaming uh, from the command line. And and typically it's MV space, the name of the first file space, the name of the second file. So I collected a folder of JPEG files and I said MV space star dot JPG space star dot JPEG. Right. So my my goal was to rename all the files that ended in JPG to ending in JPEG, but unfortunately it only moved the, it only renamed the first one because it evaluates the, um, the, it evaluates the, the, uh, the asterisk or, you know, the, and the asterisk means anything dot and, and it evaluates that first before the command actually runs. So it's not sending that to the command. It's, sending the result of that to the command. So the command got, you know, move first file dot JPEG to first file dot JPEG. And it did that, but it only did one. So then I thought, well, let me see if somebody else has solved this problem. And Google led me to a Mac OS 10 hints article that talks about doing it on again on one line, but, but kind of iterating through and without, uh, it, it's more complex than is worth explaining. So we'll simply link to it, but it is possible to do with a one line operation from the terminal. And then 
And so I moved on. So I solved the question, right, John? And I moved on. And then yet another call came in. Uh, is there anything I should, uh, you want to mention here before we start this next part of his thing? Um, I could mention a utility. I, I did see uh, some of my uh, uh, Twitter folks asking mm-hmm. this. Uh, I think our friend Peter was ask, actually asking about this. And there is a utility called a better finder rename. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it. 20 bucks and it's a, yeah, but uh, it's uh, and I think he had a similar problem. So, so, you know, yeah. cost money, but, uh, but this is something I, I think has been out for quite a while. So that that's yeah. a commercial option. Of course. Again, a better finder rename uh, at publicspace.net. Yeah, that's that. Uh, yeah, of course that'll do it. That's exactly what that thing's built to do. Mm-hmm. Mm, very cool. Uh, and so our our initial caller actually called back with this. Hey, John. Hi, Dave. Um, I had a question earlier about renaming extensions at like multiple files at once for extensions, and um, so if you wanted. To to change .jpeg to .pdf for some reason you could, or .doc to .dox or what? So you know, whatever you wanted. But I found an easy way using Automator online, and um, all that you do is you just create a workflow, and then you put in ask for finder items, and then at the bottom it says file types. And then you can do files, folders, files, and folders, which that's what I was doing because I had to rename a folder to a .dvd media. You know, and then I I check allow multiple selections. That way you can have more than one. And then all you have to do is go down to the bot, go down, and then grab from the side, um, you know, side panel is um, rename finder items and then you can select what you want or add text but in this case we want you select name singular item and then you can say base name only full name or extensions we want extensions and then two and then in my case I wanted a dot DVD media and and then it will rename the file that you select to .dvd media. In this case, .dvd media, if you're ripping DVDs, when you click on the folder that you rename to .dvd media, it will actually open up in DVD player, which is really handy for those of whom have a massive ripped library on their hard drives. All right, and I guess I answered my own question there. All right, bye. Thanks for uh, thanks for the follow up. So, yeah, that's yet another way to do it using all the stuff that's built in and not having to go to the terminal. So. Good stuff. Automator. Got to remember to use that more often. It is a handy little thing. Anything to add there? Nothing. Nothing. All right. Uh, moving on to Chris. And, and this might. Uh, well, I think this might rekindle some of our first conversation there, but in a different light, Chris writes, I purchased a copy of Microsoft office for Mac 2011. Uh, 
if you aren't familiar with this program, uh, uh, I have not been able to save or open any file in Excel or Word since installing it. When doing save, I get the following error and it brings me back to the document. It says that is not a valid file name. Try one or more of the following. Check to see the path. Check the path to make sure it was typed correctly. Select a file from the list of files and folders. When opening any file, I momentarily see a flash of text and was hoping uh, to then it, it immediately told me to read that. And then it immediately goes to the same error as above. Uh, Excel cannot open this workbook. The file name contains invalid characters. None of these problems occur on my wife's 2008 MacBook Pro with the same most recent version of Snow Leopard installed. I can't figure out what the differences are, but I know there must be something. I've created a clean guest account and have the same problems. I have uninstalled and reinstalled. I used AppTrap to get rid of the other associated files, so I don't think anything was left behind after the uninstall. Other than that, I'm at a loss for how to troubleshoot this problem, and after hours and hours of searching, I haven't found anybody with a documented problem like this. I think the only other info I have is that PowerPoint works without a problem, both opening and saving. If it wasn't for the fact that I absolutely have to use MS Word twice a year, I would swear off Microsoft altogether. How can we help? All right. So I have an idea on this one, John. It, this is this is kind of funky, but I agree with Chris that something's different between his machine and his wife's, right? Because the same install of Word uh, should work the same unless something else is different. When you format a hard drive, and we talked about that in our first question, you can do it with journal mode, but you also have the option, and this is not on by default, to name, to format your hard drive as a case sensitive volume. And what that means is that lowercase a and uppercase a are treated as different characters. Uh, uh, by default, Mac OS 10 runs case insensitive, which means that lowercase a and uppercase a are treated as the same character. And many pieces of software are written such that uh, as soon as they are put on a case sensitive volume, they tend to break. Uh, I believe Photoshop is one of them. And it's possible that you might have this problem with word 2011. I haven't tested it on a case sensitive drive, uh, but, but that's the only thing I can think of. You try to guest account. So obviously this is a system wide problem, not a uh, user specific problem. If it is this, unfortunately the only way to change it is to back up everything reformat the disk and in the process, wipe it out and then put everything back on. So it's not an easy solution, but if that's what it is, if you, and the, the way to test this would be to, um, I think, can you do it with just a get info on the hard drive, John? I think if you go to the finder and click on the hard drive, I think it'll tell you the format and it will say case sensitive in the format section there. So that, that would be the way to do it. I, other than that, I can't, I can't think of anything. Do uh, you, you have any thoughts, John? Yes. Go. <laughs> uh, I did a little searching online, and apparently this is a bug that was uh, in early versions of Word 2011. Oh. So, yeah, this is not what? a valid file name. Try one or more of the following. Yep. Now, now that this was a bug in opening, not save. He said saving, right? He said saving in Word and both opening and saving in Excel. Ooh. Okay. All right. I, I found a little uh, little huh. article that right. talks about 
this bug in 2011. Uh, so make sure that run a, I forget which menu it is in, in Word 2011, but I think if you, or go to the Mac, Mactopia site, you should be able to find uh, something that'll get you up to the latest version. But yeah, apparently they had some difficulty with uh, non-standard characters in file oh. or special characters. Okay. Um, so the non-alphanumeric. Uh, hmm. So, yeah, no, I did find this. I looked up the error message and, and someone confirmed that this was a, the, some bug in early versions. Of well, that might be it then. We're 2011. No, I, but, but you make a, a good suggestion as well, because, yeah, some apps do uh, do suffer, I guess, from uh, or get confused with, yep. with yeah, in, this format. In a general sense, yeah. I would say you do not want to format case sensitive. The only the only thing I could think of where you'd you'd want to do this is if you were setting up what's called a, a MAMP insul- installation where it's Mac, uh, Mac, uh, Apache, MySQL and PHP. And that's a riff on the LAMP acronym, which is Linux, Apache, MySQL and PHP. Or if you're doing any other development that for stuff that eventually is going to work on Unix systems, uh, the reason is that most other Unixes are case sensitive. And so if you want to write, uh, scripts or code on your Mac that it's going to work on Unix machines. You, you, if you're not case sensitive, you, you might run into some problem that you can't test for, you know, on, on your Mac. So that that's, that's the only thing I can think of that would be a, a compelling reason to go case sensitive. But I, I don't know. I, I, you do more development than I, so I don't, I, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that, John. I, uh, I've never formatted using case sensitive. Hmm. I yeah, never found a reason to. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, while we're talking about dead hard drives, Kent has a, uh, a related question, especially for those of us that are not only Mac people, but, but I'll say DVR people in general, although his question is TiVo specific. It brings up a good point that hard drives aren't only in our computers. And Kent writes, as I was listening to Mac Geek Gab 326 and your discussion of hard drives and their inevitable failure, I was thinking about my TiVo hard drive, and I think it is experiencing a slow hard drive death. It started locking up and freezing and becomes unresponsive to any inputs from the remote. It doesn't seem to matter if I'm playing live TV or recorded, but I think that's all the same, and it basically is. Occasionally, the picture will shift from widescreen to a distorted 4 over 3 aspect ratio. Sometimes rebooting the TiVo will clear it up temporarily, but that's not a real fix. My question is this. From my searches, it looks like replacing a TiVo hard drive is no simple pop and replace. The sites I've seen tell you to mount the old and new drives into an available PC and run a bit of either Windows or Linux software to clone the drive. And, of course, make sure you disconnect your primary OS drive because you don't want to inadvertently trash that. Considering the fact that my only computers are a late 2008 aluminum MacBook and an old Toshiba WinXP laptop, this option seems not to be optimal. I'd love to upgrade the original drive to a one terabyte. Uh, I found places that will set up a drive that can be a drop-in replacement, but they want a lot of money for this. Uh, I've got no problem paying for the service, but if I can do it myself, I'd rather. Uh, okay, so two things. I'm gonna I'm gonna set this up, and then uh, and then you'll take it over, John. And I'm gonna knock it down. There you go. So uh, you're right. You do need 
to uh, clone your old drive to your new drive, or at least have a drive that is set up for with the TiVo operating system, because the TiVo, like any computer won't run unless it's got its operating system on it. So, uh, but you can clone your TiVo drive. I've done it before. And back when I did it, I had to use a Linux machine for the reasons that, uh, that he mentioned this software was only available for windows or Linux. Uh, and it works okay. It, it was fine. Now, of course, his two computers are laptops, which makes this a little bit tougher because uh, you can't mount drives inside them. They're not desktop machines. So you can't just hang drives off. You know, you don't need to buy cases and all that stuff when you're just going to hang the drives for a couple of hours while you clone it. But the uh, the newer tech uh, universal drive adapter, it, it's what I think it, you know, I don't have it in front of me, but it's like 30 bucks or 35 bucks. And it's a USB device that just has adapters or, or plugs for all different kinds of, you know, serial ATA and, and regular ATA hard drives. Uh, two of those would let you plug in two drives and that way you're not buying two cases and, and it, it could work. So, so you, that's how you could get it plugged into your machine. Now, as far as doing it on your Mac, John, I'm going to leave that to you. I'm going to offer, I'm I'm going to take a little detour here, but I think it's useful because it's going to help him solve his problem. Go. Very quick detour. The TiVo, like many devices, has super secret little secret keystrokes that'll do cool things, but you got to know what they are. And I actually found a list here, and it's uh, one group I think that that is known for helping people with their TiVos, uh, weak knees. And uh, I think you may have, did you deal with them at one point or, or not? But but they offer upgrades and, and other services. But there are these things known as TiVo Kickstart codes. And uh, there is actually a code. So at least with the Series 3, and you may want to try this, Dave, or at least with the one that I have, uh, and it varies, but they, they list all of these. What you can do is while the machine is starting up, if you, uh, and I think with ours, Dave, when you start it up, all the lights will come on. And then as soon as they turn off, you hold down the pause key. And then you'll see the yellow light come on. And then at that point, you have about 10 seconds to type in one of several uh, codes that'll make the TiVo do interesting things. And I think the one he wants to try is 54, which goes to a menu that gives you a number of hard drive tests, right. including a smart test and a whole bunch of others. So if he suspects that it's the hard drive, I would recommend doing that. Um, so that's one thing. And actually another thought, because I think I had this problem at one point, though it sounds like he has more problems than, than uh, but I've actually, I actually had a problem where the uh, TiVo was not being very, very responsive. Okay. <laughs> Replace the batteries in your remote. <laughs> oh, I well, yeah. Sure. I, I, ha- I have the same remote that you do. Yeah. No, just uh, I, I, I doubt that. Well, you'll know if the TiVo is receiving the remote signal because uh, most of them, or at least ours, the yellow light comes on whenever it's getting an infrared signal from the remote. But you and I both had the lit remote, Dave, which I found the batteries maybe every six months I got to replace them. So, but then here's what you want to do. So there is a utility that I, I think for the most part would you would run on a Linux machine or a PC, but it never seemed to get out. But I found a copy of it. And it's called MFS Tool. And I think that's Minix file system tool. Minix. Okay. I actually, oh, back when I was a wee lad doing my undergrad, we actually, Minix is a very minimal uh, Unix-like uh, operating system. And for whatever reason, their, their drive is in that format. Uh, but there is something called MFS tool. And I did find a link to a version that someone managed to compile. Now, I did go to the project page and downloaded it and tried to do the standard, you know, dot slash configure and then make. And it wouldn't make on my Mac that does have the development tools. And I didn't want to spend the time to figure out what the problem was. So I found a pre-compiled version. And as far as I know, 
MFS tool, and if he looks that up, he should be able to find enough info that will let him clone one drive to the other. The, the other thing that I read, now there is a command I haven't, and you're more the command line guru than I am, Dave, but I got indications that you could simply do this if you know the proper way to use the DD command. DD. Oh, really? You can do that with, with Linux's disk duplicator, or Unix's disk duplicator, I guess. Huh. So All I right. believe, so the Mac, I think if you, yeah, the, the biggest challenge, of course, is, is getting a connection so that you can, so your Mac can see these drives. But I think DD, it may not be the best way to do it. I think this MFS tool is probably better for doing this. Right. But, but between those two options. Yeah. So check the hard drive, e- even though the, the uh, smart and the TiVo utility may still say it's okay. It, it probably is. Uh, and actually, I, I mean, you and I both have had ours for a while. I think, you know, now, of course, uh, as soon as we talk about it, I'm going to go downstairs and it's <laughs> going to have rolled over. I think I may want to pop mine open and do a, a backup of the. Uh, That's not a bad idea. Of the hard drive. Yeah, now, pointed that out, now that you yeah. found this, this tool, it makes it well, relatively easier. Yeah. Yeah, because I think I have a drive. I, I don't even know how large that drive is. But yeah, since the warranty's over, there's there's no harm in opening the, the thing up now. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. And, and uh, Matt has a question that is uh, actually a little more timely, given the Apple's announcement of IMAX, new IMAX this morning. But uh, Matt, go. Hi, guys. I've been considering buying a 13-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, to replace a Core 2 Duo MacBook uh, that I have currently. Um, um, the only difference seems to be the processors between the i5 and the i7. Um, I'd be using it as a occasional desktop uh, replacement and occasionally uh, photo editing and video editing. Um, any help you guys give me would be great. Uh, I guess this is where you cut me off. Uh, right. And I will cut you off. So, John, what are your thoughts on this? I seven. Yeah. OK. Well, I think and, well, uh, and, megahertz, and why? Uh, because it's bigger than I five. No. And, and actually, I believe uh, I believe our own John wrote a little article about this is that the I seven uh, Mega, even with equivalent megahertz, I believe the i7 will give you better multi-threading performance. And and since Matt said that he intends on this to, and the reason I would recommend this is because of the type of work he indicated he was doing. Uh, I think the video work especially, and I know from other podcasts that I've been on and people that do video work is the more cores and the, the more efficient uh, multi-threading is a, uh, is definitely an advantage when you're, when you're doing this heavy crunching, uh, for video production. So right. that would be my, my recommendation. I think a general recommendation is, you know, get as, as much as you can, but I think that's, that's the main difference between the I five and the I seven from a performance standpoint. I, I think that's right. Yeah. It, it, from what I understand, I believe that is correct. Um, I, I would get as much processor as you can afford. Um, you know, at that point, it's not a huge delta, right? But I guess percentage-wise, it is a huge delta. Yeah, but it helps the resale value as well. It okay. does help resale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I would uh, do the same thing with the, um, you know, with the IMAX that came out today. I, I would, I would definitely, you know, go ahead and 
and get as much processor as you can. So good. Anything more on this one, John? Uh, nope. All right. Let's, um, you know what? Let's, uh, let's move on to our tips and we'll get through those and see if we have time. I know we've got a couple more questions that we could do today, but we have a lot of great little tips and, uh, and I want to make sure we, uh, we get through those too. First though, I want to talk about our second sponsor for the show, which is circus ponies at circusponies.com with notebook. This is an app that is uh, likely familiar to longtime listeners of the geek cab and uh, is uh, is actually a, a favorite of our own pilot. Pete, do you want to you want to tell us a little bit oh, about how you use yeah, notebook? There's nothing it won't do to keep in. Uh, oh, it's the word I'm looking for. Conglomerate your data. Get it. Get it all into one place, whether you're trying to keep uh, PD, PDFs. Uh, video files, audio files. Uh, just take notes. You want to scribble notes in anything you want to scan in, uh, obviously JPEG pictures, that sort of thing. Anything you want to bring into a notebook, uh, just as if you're sitting in a classroom taking notes, you can do that as well. Uh, and then it has all kinds of cool things for you when you want to put it out. You can put it out into a, an HTML code and publish it as a web page. You can print it out as PDFs. You can just just about any way you want to manipulate your and conglomerate your data, this is a program that'll do it for you. It's uh, just as versatile as can be. Um, and you can search within it, too. You can. It, it, that's right. It's, it, obviously, it's got tabs, and you can place extra tabs going, hey, there's an important note on this page, and click right to it. Uh, but any keyword, if you can think of one word on a page that you're looking for, then you can you type that in the search, and it'll find it. And if there's multiple occurrences, then it'll bring up every occurrence, but you know, rather quickly find your data. Right. That's the, that's the beauty of this thing. Right. It's, just, it's, a, it's a wonderful program for uh, managing data. And all kinds of data and not just notes. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. This is all available at circusponies.com. Now they have Circus Ponies notebook for the Mac. They also have it for the iPad. Uh, and you can sync back and forth between. You can edit in both places. So you could uh, presumably take the, if you were using a notebook for a class you were taking, you could take the note, you know, notebook on your iPad with you to class, edit there. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, sync up when you get back, uh, back home. So this is circus ponies notebook. Uh, it is available from circusponies.com. At least the Mac version is you can download a free trial of the Mac version. And, uh, that is then forty nine ninety five to purchase after you, uh, check it out and love it. And if you're a student and, They've got a pretty loose and liberal definition of student there. So you can probably wind up uh, if you're involved at all, you can probably wind up getting that. And that saves you 20 bucks uh, off the uh, off the price. And uh, for only twenty nine ninety five, twenty nine ninety nine is the price that you will pay at the app store for the iPad version. Um, and you can find a link there, of course, from circusponies.com. So go ahead and check it out. Uh, if you uh, if you think you can make it work for you, I bet you can. And with that, John, I think we move on to Clay. I heard you moving your mic stand around there, so I uh, I've brought you back in now, though. So I muted yep. you. I muted you for a bit while you were moving your mic stand around. So uh, Clay writes. Lately, John has complained a few times that the iCal doc icon doesn't update the date automatically if iCal isn't opened. 
However, on my late 2008 MacBook Pro running 10.6.7, it does. John, I assume you've tried things like trashing the com.apple.ical.plist file and doing a kill all doc, which is from the terminal. That's kill all as one word, no spaces, space doc. Uh, and of course, doc doesn't matter if it is upper or lower case because the system is uh, running case insensitive. Uh, uh, I'm not sure about that. Are you not sure about that? No, I think, uh, yeah, you might be right. Actually, you might need to have doc capitalized in that sense because it's not a file uh, system thing. That's that's what I found. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. And so, you're right. Right. And so on my mini. Yeah. It's the third. It is the third. Yep. On my MacBook, it's the second. No, it's the third. Not according to my MacBook. <laughs> I'll let you talk to my MacBook. Okay. MacBook Pro. <laughs> okay. But no, it, it, it did. It, it clobbered the dock. The dock went away. It came back. And on both machines, uh, it, it had the correct date, whereas before neither one did. Right. But now the MacBook is, is, is slipping again. The, the other thing I tried, which someone suggested, was replace the dock icon. Get rid of it and replace it. And that worked for a little while too. So it's, it's a never ending problem, <laughs> at least on my MacBook. It's, it's just annoying. Not, not that I look there for the date. I, I do not count on iCal to tell me what the date is. And you have updated to ten six seven. Yep. Have you filed a, uh, a bug with Apple on this? No, you can. You're a registered developer. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, you, you'd be surprised how responsive they are about things like this. They'll probably have you test a couple else. things. Oh, maybe. Yeah, could be. <laughs> yeah, could be. Uh, but yeah, file a bug. I, I'd be curious if uh, if they you, you maybe you may have a, a claim to fame in the in the next OS update if uh, if they wow. fix it. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, I've I've worked with them on some bugs with Apple Mail not recently but but years ago and they were very responsive through the uh through their bug tracker so it is another benefit of uh of being a developer is that you get to do that and actually have them you know potentially fix your problems if it if it truly is a bug so a cool thing that i found while trying to solve a completely different problem i actually was on the phone with uh with tech support from somebody else and they said all right we want to uh we want to check through your your console logs and we want to look for just things that meet a certain criteria. And I said, oh, I know how to do a search. And they said, yeah, um, but you want to do something a little bit better. And, and this is actually really cool. If you're in console, which is in your applications utilities folder, and you go to the file menu, you can go to new database search. And you can give the search a title. So, you know, if I'm searching for things that are time machine related, I might call it backup D because I know that I'm going to search for backup D. And then you can start adding to a list of criteria. So you can just have one piece of criteria if you want. But you can also say, look, I only want things that are coming from a certain program or from a certain host or, you know, after a certain time or before a certain time. And you can set all this up. And when you hit OK, you get uh, not only a window that shows your uh, search, but when you launch console again, you will see your search saved under the database searches heading at the top of the list on the left, which is pretty darn cool. Did you know about this, John? No. Handy. If you know, I, I am constantly finding myself diagnosing backup problems 
And, and so, you know, I've created a search on my MacBook pro. And while I was talking about the question here, I created a search on my, uh, on my, on the iMac doing the same thing. Really, really handy. So something to, uh, something to bear in mind there, John. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. And it, you know, it's live. So it'll keep updating as new messages come in, uh, tends to work really, really well. So nice little, uh, nice little tip that we found. Uh, Kirshen has a tip to share, John. Oh, of course I have Kirshen uh-huh. muted, don't I? You can't hear Kirshen. No one. I can't even hear Kirshen. Let's try that again. Kirshen, help. Hi, John and Dave. This Kirshen. is Kirshen from freerangecoder.com with a comment about uh, image editors that uh, you featured in uh, Mac Geek Gap number 323. I personally use a uh, product called Acorn from uh, flyingmeat.com and it's a uh, Mimic Editor, something similar to um, Photoshop, but it's uh, designed for ease of use. And it has three modes, free, paid, or trial. In fact, um, the author of the software believes that people should have a basic image editor and and, um, allows you to use uh, Acorn uh, completely free if you don't care about the advanced features. You can actually use it completely free. Um, If you want to get it, it's uh, $49.95 at flyingmeat.com and um, I prefer that to Photoshop, in fact. Uh, Once again, keep on the podcast and we'll see you on the Bitstream. Bye. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, and I'll, I'll mention they just updated that. You can do all kinds of new things with it, uh, including rotate and bend text, and it's a fabulous, really fabulous editor. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna check that out. Yeah. All right, I, I just like the name of the company. I mean, oh, Flying Meat. Yeah. How could you not? That's right. You have to use. I mean, who doesn't love Flying Meat? <laughs> well, vegetarians, but yeah, well, yeah, that's right. Although, well, it depends it's, on it's where called, it's flying. It's called, but it's called Acorn, so so that's cool. That's right. Sometimes Pete flies meat if they, they pack it in the back they do. sometimes it's still alive and yeah <laughs> really oh my well, really occasionally yeah huh. fly horses and cattle and, oh i guess so yeah. yeah yeah huh wow things you never knew makes sense though gotta move them somehow uh claude while we're on the subject of image editors uh Claude writes in Mac Geek Cab 310, John mentioned that Preview can open several PNG files at once, then save them as one PDF. This also works with multiple JPEGs as well, but not mixed JPEG and PNG. Mixed PNG and PDF will, however, work. While we're on the subject, here's another handy tip for Preview. Say you have some photos that you've downloaded from your camera to your computer and you want to quickly crop and resize one of them so you can post it to, say, Facebook. Open the photo in preview. Click on the select tool in the toolbar. Click and drag on the photo to set up the part you want to crop. Go to the edit menu and choose copy. Go to the file menu and choose new from clipboard. And the cropped area comes up in a new window. From, fi- from the file menu, then choose save ads. Select JPEG from the format menu or the format pulldown. And then a slide bar appears that lets you adjust the resolution of the cropped image. Slide the marker to the left to decrease the size uh, and set it to whatever you desire. Give the image a name, click save, and now you can upload it. Uh, so nice way to uh, to crop photos while retaining their originals using just preview, which is pretty darn good. 
Have you noticed that with preview when you've got an image on the clipboard, you can do the new from clipboard in the file menu. It's a handy little, handy little trick. Yeah. Don't use preview too often. All right. At least not for image editing, but yeah, good to know. Yeah. It's limited. It's limited. All right. Uh, two comments from Mac geek of three twenty six. The first is from, I think we have two comments from three twenty six. There we do. The first is from Ahmad. He writes in Mac geek of three twenty six. You were looking for a way to handle zip archives on iOS devices. There is an iOS app that handles zip as well as other archive files very nicely. It is called Filer, and it also has support for Dropbox. I use it a lot to download files from the web to my iOS device. The ability to download any file type to my iPad makes it a much more serious productivity tool. And I think it's just a couple of bucks, two or three bucks uh, in the app store. And it works on both the iPad and, and the iPhone. So that's actually really cool, being able to unzip files and, and manage zip archives like that. I like it. Have you tried Filer, John? Are you? Uh, I, I, I thought that might be one of the... One of those few apps that you've actually gone in. I, I don't really deal with not. zip files. So <laughs> I don't. I, well, I, I don't deal with zip yeah. files on on my iPhone. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. The the iPhone is less functional in that sense than the uh, than the iPad is. You know, the the iPad. There, there's definitely been uh, a couple of times where it's like, oh man, I want to be able to get at that file. So thank you, Amon. That's uh, that's awesome to know about that. I mean, it is weird because uh, you know, at least in Mac OS ten, there is a, the the zip command is built in. So right, yeah, and I'm sure it's. You, uh, I wonder if it's built in on the iPad. Huh. I have to check. I'll have to check one of the devices that we have jailbroken here and uh, and go to the terminal and see. Oh, okay. That would, yeah, you know, that'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Uh, It's similar to that story uh, from 326. Allison Sheridan from uh, NozillaCast, which is at podfeet.com, writes, Dave, after hearing of your travel woes, I tested out the idea of connecting the iPad USB connection kit to uh, a USB to Ethernet adapter to see if the iPad would accept a wired Ethernet connection. Uh, I bought my husband the USB Ethernet adapter after he traveled with his MacBook Air and ended up in the same predicament of only having wired Ethernet. In any event, it doesn't work. As soon as you add the USB Ethernet adapter to the camera connection kit, a warning comes up on the screen saying it isn't supported. Undaunted, I put the iPad in airplane mode and plugged in an Ethernet cable and, sure enough, couldn't get online. So, yeah, there is no Ethernet network Uh. stack. Yeah, it's too else bad. Is Apple going to sell Airport Expresses? Yeah, but even yeah, yeah <laughs> even that you can't configure it from the iPad, right? You're stuck if you're in a hotel room. Oh, interesting. I mean, right? Well, I mean, you'd have to pre-configure it at home. Yeah, but I mean, once it's done, I mean, I carry mine and once it's done, don't, yeah, I've done it. Well, I'm trying to think. Yeah, you get you can configure it at home. Yeah. Now, once it's done, there's frequently times when I never pull out the laptop. I, I plug in the uh, Airport Express and then go. Go using my uh, right iPad. Yeah. So yeah, yeah but whatever if you happened had to, to this? Yeah. Whatever happened to it just works. Well, it does just work as long as you're set up exactly right. <laughs> as long as you pre-configure. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's this is an interesting little thing that you know we've got these these devices that are in many ways 
laptop replacements for certain types of traveling. And, uh, you know, and for what they yeah. charge you, the hotels need to get on board uh, with providing decent internet. But I know that's a whole nother <laughs> yeah. big soapbox we probably don't want to build and stand on right now. That's right. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. Uh, all right. Well, we are, uh, we, as I, as I anticipated, we are running out of time. So let's do a couple of these cool things found here, John, and, uh, and then get on. And you, you have, you have one to add. Did you say, did you tell me that at the beginning of the show? Yes, I do. But you know, their page is, uh, oh, I'll no. tell you what, I'll, well, no, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you because I, I have okay. downloaded it, but it's called Kismac, K-I-S-M-A-C. And it is best way to describe it. So it's it's not only a it is a wireless networking tool. Let's uh, okay let's put it that way. But it does things that other tools do not. I uh, one thing it'll do is that it supports. Uh, I believe it's called passive mode. The uh, practical offshoot is that you can detect uh, more base stations, including ones that are supposedly hidden. Huh. So you can find those uh, if you do find a base station that is um, open and uh, and you, you click on it, it'll show you all of the connected devices, which can be quite entertaining. Huh. <laughs> um, and also for networks that use uh, weak encryption, such as WEP, you can use it to collect data or prod it and uh, perhaps even crack the key only for educational purposes only, of course. Of course. Really? Um, huh. And it, but it, it has a sorted history because if you go to the original webpage for it, kismac.de, yeah, well, which is Deutschland or Germany. Yeah. Well, apparently um, uh, Germany a little while ago made this sort of software illegal. Oh. So, and the thing is, they moved it to another website, which for some reason now, maybe these got shut down too, kismac-ng.org. Yep. And that's not responding right now, but I found it no, in a couple it came of other up for places. Me. Oh, okay. Something's wrong with my connection. Yeah, kismac-ng.org. Yep. Oh, yep. good. Yeah, I'm able to surf around. No problem. Sweet. Okay, so it's still available. Yes. So they, they haven't shut it down. No. Uh, <laughs> but good. I thought it was neat. Uh, the, the Probably the most useful feature, again, was the being able to click on an unprotected base station and see all of the devices connected to it. Yep. Really neat. And I suppose you could use it to diagnose your own uh, yeah. your network as well. I like that. That's awesome. All right. Uh, Everett has one. Go. Hi, John. Hi, Dave. I am calling to put something into the cool stuff founds bin. It's a just mobile, mobile gum plus is what it's called. And it's a battery pack and it has a USB mini on one side that you plug into the computer for it to charge and then a USB port on the other side for you to plug your um, desired device into to charge. It's 4,000 MLA, I forgot what that stands for, but it will charge my iPod Touch six times. It says on the box it will charge it four times, but I have experienced it with six. Wow. Um, it will charge, it says it also charges the iPhone four, four times. And then it's been working really well for me. And yeah. Cool. So, click design, very. Um, very portable. So I just wanted to let you guys know about this. Thanks Everett. That's, 
but you know, with uh, with summer coming up and camping trips and traveling and all of that stuff, I can see having one of those be a really handy thing to have around to uh, to keep your phone charged or or really your iPad or iPod or or whatever. That's that. that what a smart idea to give you more juice than you need. M A H, of course, being milliamp hours, which is a that's right common way to uh, to measure battery capacity. Yep. And yeah, that's way beyond. I, I forget what the iPhone itself has. It's uh, 1600, 1500. Yeah. Like okay. So, four, so. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. Yep. Yep. Or maybe 12, maybe it's 1200 in the iPhone. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty hefty. Whatever it is, mine's weak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, this is, this is more better. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you can hang it in your tent and charge overnight, just like you do when you're, uh, when you're at home. That's pretty cool. Um, something I wanted to mention a couple of weeks ago, but, but they, their app through a, an app store renewal snafu had been, uh, had, it was down the day we were doing the cool stuff found show. But, uh, but I, I wanted to, to resurrect it now that their app is back in is, uh, an app called awareness, the headphone app from the company Essency, And it is available in the store. I think it's like two bucks. The idea is, and, and, and this actually solves a problem for me. You know, a lot of times I'll be on an airplane uh, watching a movie, but, you know, so I'm not plugged in. I'm watching it on my iPad or iPod or whatever. So I'm not plugged into the plane's audio system watching a movie. Now, the one benefit to being plugged into the plane's audio system when watching the movie is if the crew or captain uh, needs to make an announcement, I hear it. Whereas if I... That's a benefit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be. Well, it can be. That's it, true. It, there are times when I want to know what is being said around me and times when I don't. Right. But, right. you know, especially if we're getting close to landing, I don't want to miss the announcement and, you know, whatever. You know, I, I, right. sometimes I want to know. Uh, so what this app does is it sits in the background and you configure it to uh, it listens to your microphone, but you configure a threshold and when sound hits that threshold, it lets the sound from your microphone into your ears. So you can not only use this in the example I talked about, but, you know, if you're out walking or riding your bike, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how how disconnected from the world you want to be riding your bike, but this could let that happen. And again, it's like I said, I think it's a couple of bucks and then they've got some add ons, which I haven't tested yet. I did test the app and it totally works. Um, the, the add ons I haven't tested and they're like, uh, it'll duck your iPod volume or pause your iPod, I think is, is one of the add ons so that you don't miss anything while, uh, while hearing sound from, you know, the, the people blathering at you. But, uh, but, and, and I think it's got an, another one, another add on where it'll automatically, uh, readjust the gain, uh, or the threshold to the ambient noise around you. So if you're moving perhaps on a bike or, and you're moving through different environments, it'll constantly readjust uh, for you. So, uh, so it's pretty cool. It's a pretty smart idea. Uh, and, and it's amazing that it actually works. You know, it's one of those things that'd be like, if only you could have ac enough access to the system to make this work. And apparently you can. So any thoughts on that, John? Nope. Okay. Uh, Let's do one more. We'll do, we'll wrap this up with one from listener Michael. Uh-oh, I think. Oh, I, oh, Michael didn't write anything. That's why I can't find the email. Michael, uh, I believe, tweeted us about something called Jump Desktop at jumpdesktop.com. Now, what this is, 
is it is a remote desktop app um, for the iPhone and iPod and all of that stuff. Have we talked about this before? I feel like we've talked about this on the show before. Do you know about this, Pete? I don't. I'm okay, then we haven't talked about it on the show. We'll let, we'll let Pete be the uh, the voice of the listener. Maybe I just maybe we we prepped it in the past. Looks like it has something to do with the uh, i i devices. It does. No, w- what it does is it allows you uh, to control your computer from your iPad or iPhone or iPod Touch, but you can connect it via the the HDMI or the 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 any of the video out connectors you can connect it to a real monitor so you can connect to a real monitor you can of course use a bluetooth keyboard and now your iPod or or I mean certainly your iPod but even your your iPad uh, becomes this device that that you're not using its screen you're just letting it be the gateway to controlling your home computer either windows or mac it'll do uh remote desktop or VNC, which is of course uh, compatible with the Mac. So very, very cool, very, very cool stuff. And, uh, we did talk about it, John. Is that what you're trying to tell me? No, I see it in the meticulously and lovingly handcrafted show notes. So why didn't you interrupt me and tell me? I did. Oh, well, you interrupted (laughs) me on Skype. You can interrupt me here. So the listeners here. Well, all I have is in the show notes. I don't know how much okay. we talked about it. So, I think we talked about it before. All right. Well, we can't end on that. If we can't end on a on a rerun, that's not a good way to end. We gotta we gotta do. You do to mention that uh, apps run. We gotta do Google we apps. Oh yeah, Pete, go. Yeah, Google apps. Uh, if you've ever considered it, I got an email from Google this week, and on May tenth, they are cutting off the fifty free users on a Google Apps account. They're bringing it down to ten. Uh, they will, however, grandfather you in. So you've ever even thought you might want a Google Apps account, tie a domain name to it, do it now, and then just park it. You can go back and configure it later if you want. But having the ability to go to 50 free users is, sounds much more versatile than 10 free users, which is what it's going to be shortly. After that, it'll be after those number of users, it's a paid upgrade. So right. um, I have domain name for each of my kids, and uh, so I just through their Google app account together. And it's, it's much more than Gmail. I mean, it ties all your calendar and your, uh, your Gmail and your documents and your website. If you want to host it there, ties it all in and it doesn't appear to be from Gmail or from Google. You use that domain name that you own or lease, I should say. And, uh, uh, Google apps is, is pretty amazing and versatile. You use it here, don't you, Dave? Yeah, I yeah, do. You use a business account, but yep, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's great. It's I, very powerful, configurable. Yeah. Yeah, very, very handy. So do it before the 10th if you want to at least lock in more users than 10. Right. Good. Cool. All right. So we'll do one more from Corey because this is actually cool. Uh, And that's why we include it. Corey writes, not sure if you guys have heard about this yet, but I found this online a couple of weeks ago and have been using it all the time. If you need to share a file with someone, sure, you can use Dropbox in a public link, but that can be a pain. With Cloud App at getcloudapp.com, you just drag the file you want to share up to the menu bar and it uploads. A link is copied to your clipboard, which you can then paste anywhere and now anyone can download it. Perfect for sending larger files over email, which, let's be serious, wasn't designed for sending files. Anyway, lots of neat plugins and such too, which make it even more useful. So yeah, check it out. Getcloudapp.com is the uh, is the place. I like that. I'm gonna have to start using that one. Just drag it up, 
paste it in, go. Have you ever used that, John? Have not. Have not. Interesting. Anything else? Cool stuff. So the other person doesn't have to be a, a, like a Dropbox user to share right. it. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or, yeah, cool stuff or, or, uh, or anything before we wrap this one up and move on with our weeks. Well, a new feature in the uh, the iFi card that I just activated today. It was going to be maybe part of a quick... Well, iFi has a direct mode now. You can go from your iFi camera card directly into your iDevice, which I think is really? kind of cool. Really? Yeah, it's, awesome. uh, only, it's only the X2, uh, I believe, the X2 series of uh, iFi products. Okay. But yeah, so they've updated their iDevice app, and also you have to do a firmware update on the card. But uh, this is kind of nice, so it puts it in the in the same area. Uh, I'm just experimenting with it, but it's uh, I think a feature that that may prove handy for people if you want to take what's uh, what's in your camera and put it on your iDevice, and then cool. use any of the programs you have on your iDevice, Instagram or something like that, to share your photos. Yeah, so I think that's pretty slick. That's slick. I like it. All right, uh, let's see. Well, if you have a question or a tip or cool stuff found or a question, you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is 4335. That's right. Any, uh, any else? Go- could, they, could they email us at feedback at macgeekgeek.com? No, 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 Pete. It, it, they can email us, but it's feedback at macgeekgeek.com. Oh. It's certainly not feedback at macgeekab.com. I'm sorry. Don't send it there. I can't remember. You can see the show notes at macgeekab.com. You can also Skype your comments into macgeekab. You can leave us comments on iTunes to which we cannot respond, but, uh, but they do help us. They do help promote the show, and promoting the show is good for you because it uh, keeps us going. And that's, you know, that's a good thing. And then plus it increases the knowledge pool. John and I certainly don't have the answers to everything. We do our darndest, but uh, occasionally we do present a question that, uh, that we don't have the answer for. Or we present an answer and there's a better one out there. We are more than happy to share that. And, uh, and that's why it's good to have lots and lots of you listening. So thank you for all that you do, folks. Have anything else to add, John? I think that's about it. Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast converts this to AAC for you. Cashfly.com provides all of the bandwidth. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebound Software, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro from Smile, and Notebook from Circus Ponies all through Backbeat Media. And that's it. My voice held out better than I thought it would, John. Nice. Yeah, that's a good thing. 